Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Before Abraham was. It's a strange statement, isn't it? You know that's straight out of the Bible? Before Abraham was. So... If you know the end of this scripture, I'll I'll give you the scripture, but I'm not giving you the end of it just yet. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, which is amen, amen, I say unto you before Abraham was. When you say amen in the Hebrew, it is such a definitive, conclusive statement. It's like a hammer, kaboom. It is fact. It is truth. So he doesn't just say verily. He says, this is truth. This is truth. It's exclamation marks after it. So what is he saying here? Before Abraham was. What's he going to say? Aren't you guys fascinated? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was. And by the way, I'm the one that put the ellipses in there. I am. Jesus said that. And some of you are like, so? Do you know what that means? Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Jesus said, I'm guessing you probably didn't mean that. Did you? You know, that's the proper name of God that he is enunciating. I am the proper name of God. When God says it, he says, and by the way, if any of you have been to Ellerslie over the past few months, you're going to hear this theme over and over again. Can I even get off the theme? I don't know if I can. It could be the next year and I'll be talking about it. I am so moved and stirred by this, and every time I even get close to it, it magnetically pulls me back in. When God spoke his name to Moses at the burning bush, he used the verb in the Hebrew of hava, which when he said it in the present tense, I am. And he said, I am that I am. And this is the name by which you should call me. Isn't that fascinating that God gave a name? And he says, yeah, this is my name. I am. But it is to the Jew the ineffable name, which means not just unspeakable, but it is a name to describe something that is undescribable. It is an ineffable name. In other words, even, no one even knows in the Hebrew culture how to pronounce it because it wasn't even spoken for thousands of years. But so the best way is through the actual four letters, the Tetragrammaton, We would say Yahweh, which is just the combination of four letters. But no one actually knows how it's pronounced. It's ineffable. So not only, it's surrounded by mystery. And so this is the proper name of God. So to euphem. To euphem is to labor, to guard, and to protect something that is holy and immeasurably precious. See, the word that you're more familiar with would be blaspheme. But this would be the opposite. To euphem is to do the opposite of blaspheme. It's to establish something. It's to protect something. It's to preserve something. So the Jewish nation was set up to euphem, to protect this name. No one should ever dare say it. For it 
was not a name that should ever be found on any human lips. It is too great to ever find its way here, to ever come forth from a human tongue. It is the name above all names. So the legalities of euphemy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, which, by the way, is Jehovah. Jehovah and Yahweh are the same exact name. It's called a euphemism. To not say, I am, since no one could ever say that. When God says, I am, he says, aye. When we say it, we don't say, I am, we say, he is. And when we say it, we say, Yahweh. And that's the same verb for to be. But it's, he is. And so we are not supposed to take this name lightly. Vain means to almost trample upon something, to treat it as it's empty and it has no value to it. And so thou shalt not take the name of the Lord. Or what is the name of the Lord? Well, it was just given to Moses. That is the name. So it is the I am. You are not to take that name in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. So the Jews came up with an elaborate system to protect the name and to euphem instead of blaspheme. And so they created barriers so that no one would accidentally speak this name. And so even in scripture, you'll see that it never actually says the name. It has a euphemism in there instead. So in our translations, for instance, it says Lord in all caps. That's what it says. Well, it's actually the name. We say Jehovah, Jehovah. Yahweh, Yahweh. Then there's also the Hashem, or Hashem, which means the name. You wouldn't even say it, so you say the name. You don't even say what the name is. You just say the name, that's enough. And then even when they would talk about where the one who holds that name lives, they couldn't say it, so they said heaven. And so pretty soon it became such a protective guard that you would never even get close to saying Jehovah. And that's how they euphemed. They were protecting the name. Jesus comes strolling along. And he doesn't handle the name the way he was supposed to. To blaspheme. To blaspheme means to defile that which is sacred and immeasurably precious. Now, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that the one that we adore more than anything else would be accused of blasphemy? I mean, don't you agree with everything I've said so far that if God says, do not take this name in vain, that you would not take this name in vain, that you would not speak it. I mean, the Jews went out of their way not to even speak it, but ironically, the law says you, it doesn't say you can't speak it. It says you can't take it in vain. You cannot treat it in disrepute. You cannot bring it down. You cannot lower its value. You must consecrate. You must lift high. You must give rise and not ever lower. The legalities of blasphemy here in Leviticus. And he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. So let me read this a different way. He that blasphemes and says, the sacred, unspeakable, ineffable name I am, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger, as he that is born in the land when he blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. That is the law of God on the matter. The law of God is the perfect righteousness of God. Jesus knows the law better than anyone. What is he doing? 
I mean, I, I don't even know that I can comprehend this. Are you sure we didn't read that scripture wrong that I started with? Are you sure we didn't misunderstand? Maybe he was trying to say something like, I am thirsty. And somehow the writers, you know, they lost a word in the translation. I mean, maybe. But what if you really are the I am? You see, what Jesus was saying is he wasn't just saying the name. What he was saying is, you're looking at him. Uh, <clears throat> How old are you, Jesus? You mean biologically, since I was born out of the, my mother Mary? Yeah, I'm 33. You see, something's not right. Because what you're saying doesn't fit reality. And not only that, that wasn't the problem. It was that he said it. He had the audacity to declare that he was, in fact, the I am. So what if you really are the I am? Is it blasphemy? Mark 14. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest, this is Jesus right before he was crucified, standing before the high priest. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. By the way, that meant something a little more than it translates to us. What that means to us is, yeah, I'm the guy, I'm the Christ, which, by the way, was a huge statement in and of itself. However, what Jesus is saying to the high priest who knows the law and is the main administrator of it, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes. I mean, why would he do that? And saith, what need we any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What did he say? What's the big deal? What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but get this, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now, what's funny is, I think some of you have actually declared that God is your father too. Does that make you equal with God? Is he, it's not the same thing. You see, you are adopted sons and daughters. He was materially and biologically speaking the son of God, born of a virgin, conceived of by the Holy Spirit. He was, in fact, the I am conceived in a womb. Uh, a little different than when we say, yes, God is my father. We're adopted children. Jesus is quite another story. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. Why would they do that? Because he has just violated the law of God. You see, he said that simple statement, and they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, that thou being a man, makest thyself God. 
I do not understand why in the Christian church today we have such a difficult time seeing that Jesus is in fact God. You see, for whatever reason, there is this heresy that has attempted to make its way into the church throughout the centuries, and that is to diminish the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, in fact, God. Now, I'm going to go through a whole message on this today because it's very significant. When you raise the value of man, you lower the value of God. When you lower the deity of God, it's to exalt the position of man. So, it goes in two directions. We desire to exalt man's position. And as a result, we oftentimes diminish God. Or I should say, we always diminish God in such a circumstance. The key to Christianity is knowing how to give God his proper position. And to then find our position in him. We are not the solution. We are not the salvation of this world. He is. However, there is a battle, and we live in the midst of it. And as I go through this message, it has the potential to step on some toes, because I'm going to get right to the heart of this. We're going to poke it right in the chest, and that is, you are not the centerpiece of the gospel. I know that sounds strange, because didn't Jesus die for us? Isn't it about us? It's about him. And your salvation is when you understand that you need him. He is the answer. He is the center. His work on the cross is everything to us. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die. What is that law? Well, we read it in Leviticus. Because he hath made himself the son of God. Preeminence. There's a big word. I like that word. It means the fact of surpassing all others, superiority and dominion over all. Who has the preeminence in the church of Jesus Christ? It's supposed to be Jesus. Who has the preeminence, not just in the church, but in all creation, in all the universe? Jesus Christ. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he has it. So the way that life works is when we agree with who has the preeminence, and we acknowledge that he has the preeminence, and we bend our knee and allow him to have the preeminence. The battle over preeminence. Who matters most? Well, this is an interesting question. Who matters most? Jesus or you? We pop out of our mother's wombs with an argument in our soul. And that is that we should be the center. This life should be about us. We have inherited a disposition in Adam, in our lineage of being born from the very one who betrayed God and rebelled against God in the beginning, rebelled against his word and said, I desire the preeminence. Satan desired the preeminence and then he conned us into the very same disposition and now we're stuck and we long for life to be about us. We don't like to say that out loud because it doesn't sound good in the church. However, the greatest tragedy is when that mentality creeps its way in to the church of Jesus Christ. Because the entry into the church of Jesus Christ is meant to throw off that husk of self-centeredness and self-exaltation and self-glory. And we say, it's not about me, it's about him. That's how we even enter. And yet, for whatever reason, we have mangled Christianity to the point where we've somehow strategically made it about us instead of him. We still talk about him. We still like him. He's a great guy. However, he's serving us, 
And that's the way most Christians today are actually functioning. And he is, and I'm making certain things big just so that you begin to see them in this message. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Who are we speaking of? Jesus. Self's yearning for preeminence, the distortion of truth, the diminishment of Christ's majesty. When self, when we desire to make life about us or desire to make Christianity even about us, then what we do, whether we realize it or not, we're pushing Jesus down. One of the statements I oftentimes make is if you begin to belittle the words of Scripture and you begin to take away their deity or their godness, in other words, this book is written by God, you say, well, didn't men write it? Yes, men carried along by God. These are God's words. And when you begin to diminish that and make them merely the words of men, what happens is you remove the deity and the majesty of the word of God made flesh. You see, you may not be realizing what you're doing, but when you remove the power and the credibility of the word of God in text, you remove the power and the credibility of the word of God in person in equal measure. Well, in reverse, when you begin to exalt man, when life becomes about what we can do together, it's called humanitarianism. We don't need God. We can do this ourselves. What we do is we diminish God and our need for God. And as a result, the gospel is lost in a generation. We don't need it. Oh, we know that there's some historic character named Jesus, but he's no different than any other good man that has ever lived. He's very different than any good man that ever lived. He is the man. He is the only man in which we can believe and be saved. So self's yearning for preeminence. What you see is this concept of Jesus has the preeminence, but there is, even within the church, because Diotrephes, who would deserve a boo, by the way, Diotrephes. Diotrephes loved to have the preeminence. And what's interesting is the man writing this book is John. And John, more than any other burden he seemed to have, was to declare the I amness of God. You see, there were three Gospels written before John wrote his, the fourth Gospel. And when he wrote it, he wrote it very purposely to say something very specifically. And I'll go through that in just a second. But John wrote also the book of Revelation. And if you take the book of John and the book of Revelation, you will see a clearer picture of the fact that Jesus is, in fact, I am. Than out of any books in the entire Bible. And who wrote them? John. So... Here he is. It's John writing about Diotrephes. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence among them, received us not. You see, those that exalt Jesus and lift him to the highest level, Diotrephes don't like. Diotrephes doesn't like such men. You see, those of us that stand on the basis and on the foundation of the I amness of Jesus Christ, the bigness, the majesty of Jesus Christ, those that want to preserve self at the center of their life, Hate such messengers. Hate such messengers. So here's Tony Campolo, who's one of our modern voices today. I'm not trying to come against Tony Campolo. I don't agree with Tony Campolo, but it's not my goal in this. But there's this movement in what we call emergent Christianity. It's, uh, Barnes & Noble had an entire display quite a few years ago called The New Christian. It's like a reinvention of Christianity. And he's one of the lead instruments in it. And then you have people like Brian McLaren. You have people like Doug Padgett. You have people like Rob Bell. 
that are giving a new language to Christianity. It's like a reinvention. And what are they doing with it? We affirm our divinity, godness. It's the godness of man is one of the key messages that is coming through. It's not the godness of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that there's a constant diminishment of Jesus Christ. It's the godness of man that they're emphasizing. We affirm our divinity by doing what is worthy of God's. Robert Schuller affirms our divinity, yet does not deny our humanity. Isn't that what the gospel is? Uh, no, Mr. Campolo, that isn't what the gospel is. If you want to talk about the fact that Jesus was human and yet divine, yes, that's a piece of the gospel, but the fact that you think you're divine has nothing to do with the gospel. If you think you're divine, then you're going to think you don't need the gospel because you could save yourself. However, you have a serious void in your life, and you need the one that is divine, and his name is Jesus Christ. So sorry to give you another Tony Campolo quote. The hymn writer who taught us to sing Amazing Grace was all too ready to call himself a wretch, forgetting our divinity. He's upset. Tony Campolo is upset with uh, John Newton for writing Amazing Grace and declaring that he was a wretch. It's like, he forgot something. John Newton didn't realize that he was divine. Oh, the poor guy. He was missing something. Forgetting our divinity. Eric Fromm, and I put a little note in for you just in case you don't know who Eric Fromm is, who, by the way, is a godless atheist and author of You Shall Be As God. That's the guy's book. One of the most popular psychoanalysts of our time recognized the diabolical social consequences that can come about when a person loses sight of his or her own divinity. So I would like to go on record, contrary to that, Eric, I'll tell you about the diabolical spiritual consequences that come if you think you are divine. You want consequences? It's called hell. He is. You aren't. Discipled by Ken Wilber. There's a, a guy in our world today named Ken Wilber. He's a new age guru. He specializes in you finding your full self, your full self-realization. Now, most of you would say, what does this have to do with us? We're Christians. We're not going to Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber is one of the greatest influencing forces in new Christianity. This guy is actually the mentor for most of the leaders from the best-selling books in Christianity today. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I said that. And it's true, as shocking as that is. So Brian McLaren, who was voted as one of the top 20 evangelical influencers by Time Magazine a few years ago, I'm trying with Ken Wilber's help, that's not my parenthetical statement, that's his, to make clear that I believe there is something above and beyond the current alternatives of modern fundamentalism, absolutism, and pluralistic relativism. And you're like, what in the world is the guy talking about? <laughs> Ken Wilber teaches you about your I amness. He teaches you to proclaim it, to sit there and to proclaim your I amness. You know what? You want to talk about blasphemy. That's it. So it's not just Brian, it's also Rob. For a mind blowing introduction into emergent thinking and divine creativity, he advises his audience to spend three months at the feet of Ken Wilber. The false notion of the modern church. Here it is. I must increase that Christ may increase. 
There's this notion that the way that we will give glory to God is that we must reach our full potential, that we must be fully self-enlightened, that we must become something, that we must realize our divinity. If we do, then God will be pleased because then we will be useful on this earth. We'll be confident, we'll be strong, and we're Christians. It's the exact opposite premise of the gospel, the exact opposite message of the Bible. So I'm sorry to pick on one of your favorite authors. I'm not trying to pick on him. John Eldridge is famous for a message about dying to your false self so that your true self can live. Most people don't notice it because they're like, oh, this guy has some great stuff to say, and he does. But he also has a wrong conclusion, a wrong answer, is a wrong gospel. And that is, he says, the secret is your true self must live. It must be set free to express itself. That's not what the gospel is. Your self needs to be denied. I don't care if it's true or false. Self is not the kingpin around here. And so this is their message in Captivating. He came to restore the glorious creation that you are and then set you free to be yourself. And one of his famous lines in Waking the Dead, come out of the boat, take the throne. Sin, the very essence of it, is you attempting to exalt yourself to sit in the seat that belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the I am. He is the preeminent one. That seat does not belong to you. Eldridge, one of his key messages is to say, take the seat. It's yours. And until you finally recognize your potential, you cannot give God glory. In other words, exalt yourself, increase, and God will increase as well, along with your increase. It's the exact opposite of biblical Christianity. To lift up self is to bring down Christ. The modern John contrasted with the Johns of the New Testament. So I would like to take John Eldridge, our modern John, and contrast him with the Johns of the New Testament. So we're going to use John the Apostle and John the Baptist. So here's John Eldridge, take the throne. Here's the Apostle John. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. Let me read that again because that's the concept. He that speaks of his self, that makes it about his self, being expressed and seen. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. See, Jesus was sent by the Father. So Jesus sought the Father's glory. Who sent us? Just as the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us. So we seek the glory of the one that sent us. Our life is about his preeminence, not ours. Here's John the Baptist. He, Jesus, must increase, but I, self, must decrease. That's the principal point of the gospel. You have to trust that as you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you're not lost in the busyness of the kingdom of heaven. It's like you're giving up your life, and you're entrusting it to him, and you're willing to forget self, and you need God to remember you. And that's how we turn to God in confidence. You know that he takes care of you? He says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All these things will be taken care of. All these things will be added to you. We are not the solution to our life's dilemmas. He is. The Apostle John's proclamation, he is. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see when John writes, he has a very high view of God Almighty and very specifically, of Jesus Christ. 
So when you say it in the Hebrew, it's different. Like we would pronounce it A-A. A-A, Asher, A-A would be I am that I am. Yahweh is he is. But in the Greek, it's ego I may. I am. This is the equivalent of the unspeakable in the New Testament. In Matthew, Jesus uses this concept and speaks it, and Matthew records it four times. In Mark, one time. In Luke, one time. In John, 44 times. All it takes is one reference, and that would be sufficient. But for those of us that need to have some clarity brought to the fact that Jesus himself is making it clear when he came to this earth to say, yes, you know that one from the Old Testament, God Almighty, the one that parted Red Seas, the one that fed a nation in the wilderness for 40 years? Uh-huh. Remember, remember that? That's me. What? You're 33 years old. How in the world is, is that the case? That's impossible. So here's the book of John. So when you see the reference, it's in the book of John. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto you am. That's what he said. The he is actually added for clarification so that we would comprehend what the world is talking about. I think it would actually make more sense to us if you removed the he. Because we don't see it otherwise. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. I am that bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. You see, I know that to us, grammatically in the English language, we do not see anything in that. And that's part of the reason why John is going out of his way to say this. Because if you compare it with the rest of the Bible, you compare it with the rest of the New Testament, this book stands out. This is not the way that he speaks in any of the other books. He doesn't say these same things. But John is saying, he said it, I witnessed it. Over and over and over again, John is pointing out the I amness of Jesus Christ. The first three books, the first three gospels, they make statements of who God is. There's no doubt about it. You know that Jesus is. However, this book goes out of its way as the crowning jewel of the gospels to declare it. There's no questions here. You see, the first three are written, and then the accusations, the false doctrines begin to come into the church, and John writes the book of John. Look, guys. He is. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am. You shall die in your sins. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Some said this, This is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. 
Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You call me master and Lord, you say, you say well, for so I am. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also, there you may be also. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Jude, oh, this is when they come to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they say, he says, who, do you, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. His response is, Jesus saith unto them, I am. That's what he said. That was his actual response, I am. He says the proper name of God. And do you guys remember what happened? It says, and Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. As soon as they, as, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Why? Well, as Hebrew understanding would have it, if a man ever spoke the unspeakable, he would be struck down by God, by lightning. And so what you literally see, these are Jews that are surrounding him. He says the unspeakable. And they literally fall back to the ground. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. So I don't know if you gathered that in the book of John, if it was clear enough. However, it's not supposed to be obscure. I've heard people say, I do not see it in the scriptures where Jesus actually says that he's God. Well, actually, all throughout the New Testament, it is not just clear, it is a gong going off. How we miss it is actually more of what mystifies me. And here's what I would say. I don't think we purposely are missing it. I think part of it is that we have been groomed and trained in our Christianity in a culture that has unwittingly diminished the deity of Jesus Christ to the point where it's almost uncomfortable to magnify him. And that shouldn't be. Jesus should be exalted to the highest place in our understanding because that is where he sits in reality. He is in the highest place. He is at the right hand of the Father. All things are under his feet. Do we believe the word of God or not? Unless you believe that he is, you have no life. Unless you know that he is the I am. Unless you know that he is, in fact, God, come to save and come to rescue you, you don't have life. The statement of a friend. John the Baptist is called the friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom when a, when, a, when a husband or a newly betrothed man would be in, entered into covenant with his, his young lady friend, he would go off to prepare a place. And meanwhile, he would entrust his, his bride to a friend. So it was called the friend of the bridegroom. And that friend had to be trustworthy. And when the bridegroom would return, what would the friend do? Get in the way and say, she's mine now. No, if he's a true friend, what's he going to do? He's going to step out of the way and say, hey, look, it wasn't my bride. I was merely here to hold a place until the true bridegroom arrived. And so every single one of us, even those that are, of us that are married are friends of the bridegroom. In other words, we're truly not the centerpiece. We're a placeholder. John the Baptist, when Jesus, the true bridegroom comes, what did he say? Hey, guys, I'm out of here now. Look, <laughs> I was only here as a friend of the bridegroom. So the statement of the friend I am not, but he is. Listen to this. The term is ego I may. Remember I said that's the 
That's the actual statement of I am in the New Testament in the Greek. But if you add an ooh on top of it, it's ego I me ooh. And if you say it right, what you're saying is I am not. Well, that little ooh is everything. Because if you think you are, then you die. But if you know you're not, then behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. John knew the ooh. He knew that he was not all that. He knew that he wasn't the Savior. And guess what? All Israel was coming out to him. He could have easily exalted himself and taken for himself the bride. But he knew the ooh. He knew that he too needed a redeemer. He too had faith in the one that would come. The one, the seed that would be born. And that's where he put his confidence. And when that seed came, when that Messiah arrived, when the Christ came on the scene, he knew the ooh to add on. And he said, I am not. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Well, this is his moment, guys. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not. Isn't that incredible? He said, I am not. I am not the Christ. He it is. He's basically saying, he is. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. This is possibly one of the greatest men, according to Jesus, the greatest men born among women. And he is unworthy to untie or to undo the shoe latchet of the one who comes after him. Look, I am not he. The ooh, ego I may ooh, I am not. I am not worthy. I am not he. Is that what we say in our soul? He is. Behold the lamb who takes away our sin. There he is. It's not here. It's him. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Job 38. So Job is a challenging book for many of us to navigate. One of the things we see in Job, Job was quite a special and impressive man, even unto God. God himself is saying, have you seen my servant Job? He's bragging about Job. And yet Job faces difficulties that don't fully make sense to him and to the world around him. Job's mistake was that he did not defend God, but he defended himself. When everyone was saying, it must be sin in you, you must have done something wrong, he defended himself instead of God. That was his one great mistake. Listen to what God says in Job chapter 38 and then 40, and I shrunk this down quite a bit. This is quite a, uh, quite a statement from God that lasts multiple chapters. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold every one that is proud and abase him. 
Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. You see, God is, in a sense, holding him in contempt. It's like, look, are you God? Prove it. Do you know the answers to my questions? Were you there to witness the foundations of the world? Do you have this power? If so, show it. Array yourself, deck yourself with glory and beauty. Bring low the proud. Do it, Job. Do it. Are you he? If you are he, prove it. Then I will also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. You can save yourself. Obviously, you are he. But if you're not, you need a right hand to save you. You see, this is the great thunderous response of God to Job. What is Job's response? Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld from thee. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered things that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seize thee. My eyes seize thee. Wherefore I abhor myself. What's the, what's the response? I abhor myself. Did I actually think I was something special? Did I actually itch to self-justify and to say, look, I'm fine. Did I actually do that? I abhor myself for I am not fine. Only your right arm can save me. But now mine eyes seize thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Establishing Christ's preeminence. That's an amazing thought that Jesus did not consider it robbery. It was not a violation of the law, which, by the way, you're not allowed to steal. Thou shalt not steal. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was unashamed of this fact. It was not a crime. It was not a crime to bear the name of Jehovah and to say, I am. Oh, sure does sound like a crime to me because no man is. Well, except God in the flesh. He is. Jesus did not consider it robbery. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Yep, there it is. Before Abraham. Okay, let's, let's think this through. Jesus was born around 2,000 years ago. He was in a little girl named Mary, and he was born, a baby. So, how in the world could he be before Abraham? By the way, Abraham was 2,000 years before Jesus. That's the equivalent of you saying that you were before Joseph and Mary. Or you witnessed the birth of Jesus. Yeah, I was there. And how do you think all of us would treat you? Cuckoo. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham is what that means. Before Abraham. John 8. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Well, that's quite the saying. In other words, Jesus has a solution for death. You need to keep his word. Then said the Jews unto him, uh, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? 
See, we're setting the stage for something here. And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who is the greatest? We are of his lineage. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar. This is such an interesting thing. Jesus perfectly keeps the commandments, but everything he's doing sounds like it's against the commandments. He says, if I told you my father and I are not one, then I would be lying, for we are. If I said that I thought it was robbery to declare that I am equal with God, well, that's not true either. It's not stealing, for it is mine. It is a fact, and I am equal with God. If I were to tell you that I wasn't before Abraham, it would be a lie, because I was. How awkward of a situation would this be for all of us to witness? You see, if you don't believe that he is, you can't see it, can you? You know what you need to unlock every word that Jesus speaks? You must believe that he is. If you don't, the guy's a lunatic. The guy's a madman. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like, like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, this is his answer, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. When did Abraham live? Abraham lived approximately 4,000 years ago from right now. Since Adam and Eve, it's been close to 6,000. So we can divide up 2,000 years from creation to Abraham. Another 2,000 to Jesus, and then another 2,000 to us. Okay, so Abraham lived 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus. Was Jesus before Abraham? Was Jesus really before Abraham? What does the Bible say? In the beginning was the Word. You guys know who the Word of God is? In Revelation, we actually have a very clear statement that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. That's actually his name. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, or was Jesus. And the Word, or Jesus, was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Well, that's before Abraham. So that's one account of it. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus is saying that he was with the Father before the world even was and that he had a glory. That's what he's saying. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world." Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Do you guys know who that child is? Well, that's Jesus. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now, what you saw is I made certain things big because I don't want you to miss them. We know that his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, but do we recognize that his name shall be called 
the mighty God. Uh huh. This son that is born, this child given, is actually God. Uh huh. That's what it says in Isaiah 9 6. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, that's what it says. That's who's coming. He's known as the Messiah, the Christ of God. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. Who? Who's coming forth? Who was born in Bethlehem? Well, that's Jesus. We all know that. The one born of a virgin. Out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Listen to what it says about him. Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He has no beginning. The one who will be born in Bethlehem of the seed of a woman, born of a virgin, conceived of by the Holy Spirit, will be the mighty God. Emmanuel, God with us. He will be one whose goings forth are from of old and from of everlasting. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things consist. Wow. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that Jesus created the heavens and the earth? In fact, I could go through a whole case just supporting that. Jesus is the creator. He created all things, and yet he was born 2,000 years ago? They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. What does it say of Jesus in Hebrews? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know what that means? To one who has a Jewish understanding? Jesus the I am. That's what I amness means. Same, unchanging. Same yesterday, today, and forever. It means I was always this way. I am that way now, and I will always be. I'm the self-existent one. You do not define me. I am. Revelation 1. I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, so I emphasized Alpha because that means the beginning. The first and the last. Of course, you know why I emphasized first, because that means he's the first even though he's also the last. You see, he's the bookends of this whole thing. It says he's the root and offspring of David. He started the whole Hebrew nation. He invented it. He came up with it. He's the one that gave them the law. He's the one that created an entire culture which was prophetic to tell of who? Him. He's the one that was going to come forth out of the very lineage that he started. He spoke to Abraham and promised a seed. And then who was that seed? He was. He's the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it into the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he said, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. This is Jesus talking. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. And was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first. Isn't that an amazing thought? To think that Jesus comes that far into history, is born. But he is the first and he is the last. Who created? Jesus. Who will be the ending? Jesus. He is. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. 
The second shall be first. You guys typically recognize it as the last shall be first. Jesus is called the last Adam. So you have the first Adam who failed, and then you have the last Adam. And guess what? The last Adam shall be preeminent. The last Adam shall be first. Those that are in the last, those that, are in the, those that are in the lowly one, those that take the lowest position are in the exalted one. And so the last shall be first and the first last. Jesus spotted in the book of Genesis. What's he doing there? The book of Genesis is talking about things thousands of years before Jesus. Technically, it's around a 2,000-year window, even more than that, in the book of Genesis. Just one book covers over 2,000 years of history. It's an amazing thing. But Jesus is spotted in the book of Genesis. He wasn't even born yet. How in the world can he be found there? After these things, the word of the Lord, who's the word of God, by the way? Jesus. Did you know that the word of God is a character in the Old Testament? Now, most of us have a tough time knowing how to comprehend these things because we've diminished Jesus so much and we fail to remember that he's not just a man born of the seed of a woman. He is God whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. He didn't just appear 2,000 years ago. Oh, we got a new character. Let's add him to the Trinity. He was. He is. He always will be. He is the I am. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham, Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am the shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. So what we have is the word of the Lord comes unto Abraham and declares something, which I'm going to pick up on in just a bit, but he declares something very, very specific. His very first statement is, I am. He is giving an entire context for everything that's going to flow out of this. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. This is everything to the Jew and everything to the Gentile. This is the entire construct of what we understand as the gospel. Right here. And what does it start with? It starts with the fact that Abram says, something's wrong. You see, I don't have a descendant. Do you have a solution for this? And God says, and Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. It will be one that comes forth out of Abraham. So it's in Abraham even now. Is this one? It's in his loins. And one will come forth that shall be thine heir. Who is that? Now, you could rightfully answer and say, well, that's Isaac. However, it's not talking about Isaac. Yes, it is. But Isaac is merely a placeholder. Just like the son of David will rule forever upon the throne. Is that talking about Solomon? We all know who it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus, who is also the descendant of David. You see, there are placeholders that give you a picture of the one who will come. That's not just talking about Isaac. That's talking about Jesus. And he shall be the heir of the very promise that he is making. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou art able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the baseline of salvation. What is it in? It's salvation that is found by faith or believing in the Lord, in the I am, who will do it. Abraham and all the descendants of him are the people of faith. They're the ones that hear the word of the Lord. They hear, more specifically, when it comes to us, Jesus. They hear the word of the I am spoken, and they reckon that the seed is our salvation. He has done it. He will do it. And he said unto him, I am the Lord. That's the equivalent of saying, I am the I am. I am the I am that brought thee out of, the, out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove of a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. And the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall thy come out with great substance. Shall they come out with great substance? Who's it talking about? Is that talking about Israel? Yes, it is. Is it talking about Pharaoh and that he will break the back of Pharaoh and he will bring about a mighty deliverance? Yes. We're talking about a sacrifice here. There's a day of great horror comes upon. There seems to be a great suffering, a great sacrifice. And God makes his promise in the midst of this. And he says, it will happen. There will be a mighty deliverance. You are hearing it from the I am himself. The word of the Lord has come and made a promise. And they will come out with great substance. Is that just talking about Israel? And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You see all your enemies? In this land, I've given it to your seed. Who is his seed? In the New Testament, Paul actually argues, and it says, it doesn't say to seeds. It says to the seed as one. Who is the seed? Who is the one that came forth out of Abraham, that was a descendant of Abraham, that received the promise, that was delivered out of death and bondage, the back of Pharaoh was broken. And he came out with great substance. Who is it talking about? Is it merely talking about Israel? Is it merely talking about Isaac? Who is the one that will inherit? It is he. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that is being referred to. This is the gospel. Abraham has a promise. A promise of a son. A promise that it will be of his own seed. This son will inherit all the land, all the promise. It will be his. A promise is made to Abraham and his seed, meaning one man. And here's our scripture in Galatians. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. 
He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. The promise is given by who? The word of the Lord. The word spoke aforetime that when it came about, we would believe. Jesus is always using such a statement. He's saying, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you will believe. Who's speaking it aforetime? Who's saying it in advance? The word of the Lord is saying it in advance. So that we, when we see it come about, will believe. Abraham believed in the word of the Lord. And it was accredited to him, it was accredited as righteousness. What do we believe in? We believe in Christ. And when we believe in Christ, he truly does become our shield of salvation. He truly does become our deliverer. He truly does become our house in which we dwell. The sleep of terror, the time of sacrifice, was accompanied with the, great, with the horror of great darkness. But the seed shall come out with a great substance, and the slave master shall be judged. What's it talking about? There's a sleep of terror. There's a time of sacrifice, which is accompanied with the horror of great darkness. This is the cross. But the seed shall come out with a great substance, and the slave master shall be judged. Abraham was preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, strangely enough, by Jesus Christ. He just wasn't known as that. It was the word of the Lord. The gospel was preached by Jesus Christ and then fulfilled and lived out every detail by Jesus Christ. The cry of the firstborn man. It's interesting. Abraham is given a promise, just as we are. And yet, what do we still have a propensity to do? Turn back to ourselves. You see, Abraham had a son. His name was Ishmael. Now, the Bible says that he was a wild donkey of a man. And same with your firstborn life. It's a wild donkey of a life. And yet, we want that life to somehow be able to live before God. To somehow be enough. And God says it isn't. Ishmael cannot stand before me. The firstborn, which is known as the old man of the flesh. Your first disposition, the way you pop out of the womb. And God himself, through Jesus Christ, says, unless you are born again, unless you are a twice born, unless you are born anew, you have no life. So the cry of the firstborn man, oh, that Ishmael might live. And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Oh, that our firstborn life, oh, that self would be divine. Oh, that you would esteem me. Oh, that I could live and express myself, my yearnings, my longings, the things I want in life. Oh, if that could just live before you. It can't. God has already made a promise. It is only in the seed that this will be realized. And unless you believe in that seed, unless you are found in that seed, you have no life. That is where the righteousness is found. Ishmael is not. Jesus is. Jesus is. The man who takes hold the promised land. So we have this great story of the deliverance. Remember, even Abraham's talking about it. In 430 years, a man named Moses comes in, and there's an incredible deliverance. The back of Pharaoh is broken. And they cross the wilderness. They are stiff-necked and... Not the, the best generation, obviously. They're rejected from entering into the land of promise. But God still delivers. According to his word, he brings the seed of Abraham into the land of promise as a foreshadow. But who is it that leads them? His name is Joshua. 
Ironically, Jesus in the New Testament, we know his name in Greek. Actually, we know it in English if you want to get it down uh, to, its, to the brass tacks of it. We know him as Jesus. However, his name is actually Joshua. You wouldn't pronounce it that way. You'd pronounce it Yeshua. So the name of Joshua, this is actually the same name of the man who brings the people of Israel into the promise. It's the same one in the New Testament, the I am that I am, that brings us into the land of promise. So the name Joshua is the integration of Yahweh, which is the unspeakable name of God, and a super powerful verb. Or, and I, just in case you don't know what a verb is, I put action for you there. So... Haya means to be or to exist, mixed with yasha, which means to save, to deliver, or to rescue. So Moses called Hoshea, which was his original name, the son of Nun, Joshua. It's like he gets a new name. Well, Hoshea means help, save. And Moses gives him a new name, which says, which is Yehoshua, Yahweh saves. That's actually what he changed his name to. Who is it that saves? The I am saves. Who is it that will save you? The I am. And only the I am can do it. So unless he is the I am, we're still in need of a savior. Because only the I am can save. After the Babylonian captivity, for the preservation of the name amongst the pagan cultures, the name of Joshua was subtly altered. So for fear, this is again a euphemy, they wanted to protect the name. And so since Yehoshua, how, how do you pronounce that? Yehoshua was too close to Jehovah or Yahweh, and they didn't even want to get close to saying it. After the captivity, they actually changed his name to Yeshua, the son of Nun. Same name, same guy. And so Jesus was known as Yeshua. It was actually a protection of the tetragrammaton, the unspeakable, ineffable name, is mixed with the verb to save. So in Hebrew, I am plus the verb to save equals Yeshua. In Greek, I am plus the verb to save equals Jesus. And in English, I am plus the verb to save equals Jesus. When we say the name of Jesus, we're declaring something. He was a savior, he is a savior, and he will always be a savior. The great I am, because he so loved the world, has garmented himself in the body of a man that he might save. When God declares his name to be Jesus, he declares, I am he that saved, is saving, and will always save. Our Savior has come. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is the Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. There's the gospel, right there. It's captured in that line. And what you're going to see is the writer of Hebrews refers to this line. We just oftentimes don't see it. But this is when Abraham believed. He is believing that the I am saves. 
And that if he puts his confidence in the I am, that that I am is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abraham believed that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So fear not, Abram, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So here it is in Hebrews. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What did Abraham believe? You are my shield. You are my great reward. You will do it. And I trust that you actually, as you say, you are. And as a result, it was accredited to him as righteousness. It's called faith. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the I am that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham, Abraham was, I am. You know what's so amazing about that is Abram was his name, and then he received a new name when he believed God. He believed God was his shield and his great reward, and he believed God that when he spoke it, that there would be a deliverer out of his own seed, and that that one would come forth with great substance, that there would be a Messiah. He believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and this is the same thing we have as the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Do you see it? Do you see that he is? It's amazing in Isaiah how replete Isaiah is with the foreshadow of the I am that is coming. Now what's interesting is if you can hold on to what I've already shared with you so far about what Jesus is in the New Testament and what is revealed of him in Revelation, that he is the Alpha, he is the Omega, he is the first and he is the last. And then you begin to go back to Isaiah, where you know it's Jesus in the New Testament, but do you see that the I am is those things? It's exactly what it foreshadows in the Old Testament. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Who saves? The I am saves. And only the I am saves. And who is Jesus? The I am that saved. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. This is what we're supposed to understand. Do we recognize that he is? God Almighty has done this. Before there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. I am the I am, is what it's saying. And beside me, there is no Savior. Who's talking? Who's talking? I am your only way to the Father. I am the only one who can save you. Unless you believe on me, you die. You see, Jesus himself is making it clear. He is. That is him talking. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. And what does it say? I am. Even I am Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am 
God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will remember, not remember thy sins. Who's, who's talking? I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Who blotted out your transgressions? Jesus! Who's talking in Isaiah? It's the word of God that's come unto Isaiah. I, even I am. I am the I am that hath blotted out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who's talking? That's Jesus. He, who's the first and the last? It's actually his name in the book of Revelation. Over and over again. Who is the first and the last? Well, it's the I am. Well, who is the I am? He saved us, and his name is Jesus. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Wow. Jesus? You see, when we come unto Jesus, do we realize who we come unto? Do we recognize his preeminence? Do we recognize how grand he is? This is not a diminishment of the Father and of the Spirit. But it is an exaltation, a clear understanding of the bigness of Jesus Christ. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who's speaking? This is Jesus. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. You know what that's, that means? I am. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Do you see that Jesus is the one talking in the Old Testament? This is Jesus Christ. He's not just born 2,000 years ago. He is. And before Abraham was, he was. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, who we are believing in is not just a mere man who lived a perfect moral life, but we believe in a rock that cannot be moved forever. When we put our confidence in him, our hope is sure. For we believe in God. God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. This is how we're going to finish. This is just a quote from Jesus Christ. When I read it, I'm not going to read the English edition of the he. Because I want you to catch this. I want it to reverberate through us as the church of Jesus Christ to recognize that this is no small matter. You see... The I amness of Jesus must be raised high. And we must abolish in the church of Jesus Christ any notion of I amness of man. For he is, we are not. Our salvation is found in the one that is. That is our hope. And that is the clear biblical record. We exalt Jesus by allowing him to be our only means of salvation. 
For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. I'll read it again. Let it sink in. Because the writer of Hebrews says the exact same thing. See, the one who comes unto God must first believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you believe that he is your shield? Do you believe that he is your great reward? Abraham believed. Do you believe? When the word of God comes to you in the person of Jesus Christ and knocks, will you let me save you? Will you allow me to be God, the I am in your life? You are not, but he is. For if you believe not that I am, says Jesus, you shall die in your sins. But if you believe that he is, and you can say, he is what? Well, he is. He is that he is. And he has done it. He cannot lie. He has promised and he's fulfilled his promise. He will do it. He has done it. He always will do it. Our confidence is in his unchanging sameness. We believe. And as a result, we will be clothed in his righteousness. His work is our work. He is our salvation. We cannot save ourselves. He is salvation. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you do have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.